Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Longevity Muscle Podcast. I'm Kenny, your host, and today we have PMBA Pro Natural Bodybuilder joining us, Mitch Jarvis. Mitch was the 2020 UKD FBA overall champion and the 2021 PMBA Pro UK champion and Pro World Runner Up. Mitch, I'm so happy you're here. Thanks for taking the time. Now, thanks for having me on the podcast. I know it's taken a while to set up, but yeah, there's been some really, really good names on um, in the last year, and it's been really cool watching the podcast grow over that time. So thanks for having me on. Oh, it's an honor, man. And I appreciate that. I appreciate the kind words. And I know the listeners are going to love this one. You have an incredible physique. It's, it's no secret. Uh, <laughs> from gymnast to bodybuilder, we'll get into the history of that as well, because I think you have a really cool background that I think can really help a lot of people, not only in terms of training, but even mindset, because you've had some setbacks too. You've had the shoulder injury, the ACL injury. So yeah. why don't we start there? Let's talk about your gymnastics history and how that transitioned into bodybuilding. And then we'll, we'll tap into some other cool topics from, from that point. Yeah, I started gymnastics when I was five years old. I was sort of talent scouted in, in primary school. So I went to the local gym um, and sort of picked it up and I just sort of fell in love with the sport straight away. For me, that was what I spent most of my time doing sort of growing up. As I went through those years, I obviously took a lot from it and I learned a lot from it in terms of how to kind of move your body in space, how to train muscles and movements and kind of the difference between the two as well. But I kind of started competing. I mean, I think on my first competition, I was about eight or nine years old. So I started competition at that age. But by the time I was about 10, I started doing more sort of the national level competitions and even sort of went off and competed abroad. I mean, my first competition abroad was we went to Holland and that was when I was 10. So we did that and I kind of went through that system. I had a couple of injuries and setbacks when I was kind of early teenager. I had one problem where I had stress fractures in my spine. So that meant I had to take quite a lot of time out of gymnastics. But I kind of got back into it, picked it up more seriously when I got to university. Um, so when I was about 18 and, and from there, I kind of built up towards the second half of my gymnastics career which finished when I was about 23, 24, um, and when I left university. Yep. And you had a stress fracture to your spine. What age was that? So that was when I was 14. And so what, so that was the very first kind of injury you had. How did you handle that? I guess I know it was a long time ago, but were you out for like a long time and did it take a toll on you mentally? Cause that was way before the bodybuilding thing, right? Yeah, so that was that was long before. But um, I mean, the key thing with that was I'd always had sort of niggles and bits that were interrupting training. And it meant that a lot of the times you go to competitions, you you kind of have to work around them a little bit. But this was the first one where it was I, I knew it was quite serious. The main thing was I'd start doing sort of like giant swings on the rings and stuff. And I noticed that my I was getting sensations of like numbness in my legs. And it, it got to the point where it was really uncomfortable. With British gymnastics, I got so I got to see a specialist for it. Um, he x-rayed it and he said, yeah, those are the two fractures. They're the things that we need to kind of heal and then make sure that they don't come back. And for me, I think it was about, I'll say about six months in terms of time completely out and completely resting and then gradually building into any kind of training. And then I'd say probably another six months of sort of focusing on the rehab side of things and building back up into doing the same kind of skills um, that would trigger the injury before. So about a right. year in total. First of all, was that a big influencing factor for why you quit gymnastics? No, um, that was just one of the things. I mean, we kind of got used to all of these things, sort of aches and pains. And you see other people that you'd compete with and they'd be out for a year with injury. And it was it was quite normal to see and to deal with. But that was my first sort of big experience of injury. Gotcha. And for those that may, may not know and might find this interesting, because I'm, I'm curious myself, you specialize, what did you specialize in? Was it rings? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I did. So I did all around. So I always competed six pieces. The only one that I didn't get on with was the pommel horse. I think my main issue with that was that I couldn't put my hands behind my back without having to bend my elbows, which disrupts the flow of the movement on the piece. So having big lats wasn't necessarily the best thing in the world for that. But yeah, for the rings, I was always, I found I was quite naturally strong um, and I was well suited to that one. That time frame that you're doing gymnastics is like a key time frame for being able to maximize muscle growth and doing what you were doing, I mean, must've had a massive influence on just building your physique. Would you like, would, do you think that, that it did for sure? Or. Yeah, I think massively um, for me, I kind of, I always grew up and I, 
I noticed that I was in sort of muscle terms sort of more developed um and from quite an early age sort of you notice that your chest starts growing and your back's a bit wider and you've got the v taper from the gymnastics um the only thing it doesn't help with is legs um right. so all male gymnasts if you look really big up top you know big arms big shoulders big chest big back but there's just it goes straight down and it's like drain pole legs but um <laughs> it's it's what helps in the sport and you know you look at any athlete and you can guess nine times out of ten which sport they do just from the shape of their body and gymnastics is no exception but yeah it, it really helped with in terms of like the upper body development kind of having that in place when I made the switch gotcha and before we talk about that how you made the switch do you still keep up with uh gymnastics at all what is that something that you enjoy watching yeah I think it, it always will be it's it's one of those things that you spend so much time doing and watching and being sort of immersed in that in that world that it's strange not to, I think, to have a complete break from it. But I mean, on TV recently, we had the Commonwealth Games and the European Championships. And it's it's really nice to sort of watch even some of the boys that you've trained with and competed with in the past, you know, still doing it and picking up medals and doing really well. So it's yeah, it's a great sport. Did you have aspirations to like go to the Olympics or was that one of the things that, or did you go? No, no. Um, oh, okay. as, a youngster, as a youngster, I did. Um, and I was on sort of the national squad and I was kind of working towards that, um, sort of like on the British team as a junior. I, I mean, I had a couple of injuries and I just, I was never quite as good as some of them. So I was kind of always n- not going to make it to that level, I don't think. But hmm. for me, when I picked it back up again at university, my my main goal was to go to the World University Games, which is like the biggest multi-sport event second to the Olympics but for students I managed to go to that at the end of my degree so I did that in 2013 um, the same year that I graduated oh nice and was that the biggest would you say that was one of the biggest accomplishments for gymnastics wise or for me yeah that that was my biggest accomplishment and it was it was nice to finish my sort of gymnastics career but I like to think of it as the end of my gymnastics career that way I did carry on doing gymnastics for a few more years afterwards it was mainly just because I enjoyed training and it felt strange doing no exercise. But yeah, that was the end of my competitive career. Gotcha. So you made the switch when? How old were you when you made the switch from gymnastics to bodybuilding? So it's it's a bit of a weird one. It wasn't all done at one point because I started going into the weights room and sort of lifting weights and mainly because I wanted to build up my legs. I got to the point where I'd finished with gymnastics. I realized that I was somewhat out of balance in terms of the way I was looking. My wife, Olivia, then changed from gymnastics to weightlifting. So she's, she does a, uh, Olympic weightlifting now and she was starting to squat and she was starting to pick up weights that I would look at and go, well, that would flatten me or fold me in half. So I then kind of felt that I had to push up and build up some, some form of strength in my legs um, over that. But I mean, that was around about 2015. So 2015 to 2017, I started transitioning a little bit more. 20. I think it was the end of 2016 that I had two injuries back to back um, or it might have been the very start of 2017 but I did my ACL landing from the high bar my foot slipped um, and then two weeks later to the day I did I was on the rings doing a cross and my shoulder popped out and I tore my AC joint apart wow um, wow so yeah. does, that, does that influence your bodybuilding to this day like do you have to work around some things when you're training or are you pretty you're pretty good because you probably have a high pain tolerance yeah. to being a gymnast yeah which doesn't necessarily help when things go snap but um right I, I don't find that the bodybuilding is hindered at all by those injuries because i had so i was on the waiting list and i had two surgeries at the back end of 2017 and then in the middle of 2018 so i had both those done it was the shoulder first then the knee six months later and I mean, the rehab process was when I kind of, I'd completely finished with the gymnastics and I knew that my body wasn't going to be able to take the the demands that that places on, on the certain joints. But that's when the rehab process was, because it is kind of similar to bodybuilding. You spend a lot of your time doing, you know, single leg RDLs and you think, well, actually this is, this is quite good um, as an, as an exercise for bodybuilding. And a lot of time doing really controlled overhead presses for the shoulder and that was coming back from that was kind of when I made the switch to bodybuilding, I'd say. So middle of 2018. Wow. So that was pretty much when you went full-time in bodybuilding was around the middle of 2018. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, so. so not that long, like that's crazy that you, that you've built, <laughs> like we're talking four or five years and you've built, you went from 
gymnast physique to, you know, world champ, pretty much world runner up world champ, but (laughs) that's, uh, yeah, but still like, it's pretty, it's impressive. And, um, and it's just a matter of having enough comps, uh, competitions under your belt too. I think that plays a role in, you know, whether or not you're, you can, you know, three time, four time, five time world champ. It's like, how many times are you competing a year? How often have you competed? Those things play a role, but you definitely like when I'm looking at you, it's like, whoa, this guy's a world champ in the making for sure. No doubt about it, man. It's crazy. Thank, thank you. Now, hopefully, mm. um, I mean, my main thing for this, I know with my career in gymnastics, it was very focused on um, making sure that I was beating other people and placing a certain you know position at competitions or making a team for this or that. And when I went into the bodybuilding, I kind of said, right, I'm going to try and take a step back from that and focus on just doing as well as I can. I mean, I started, my first comp was in 2020 and I went into that and just sort of said to myself, well, it's not about where I place. It's not about, and it's just about trying to start at a point, establish a starting point and then build and improve on that each time, which, you know, is is what I focused on doing. Um, And I've been really happy with how it's gone 2020 and 2021 um, in terms of the improvements that I made. And then just want to carry that on going forward and see where I can go. It's a great mindset, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's valuable for the listeners to hear because oftentimes people are chasing pro cards right away. And it's like, well, get your feet wet, see how you're enjoying it. All that also matters as well. So I think that's that's um, definitely valuable. So let's backtrack for a second. You have this picture because you were mentioning the legs like <laughs> from gymnastics to now. You have this picture on your uh, IG. So for those who don't know go check out mitch jarvis on instagram the links will be in the description box but you have this one transformation photo of like when you're a gymnast and how your legs legs looked and then now pretty much and um it's pretty it's incredible first of all and what do you have to say for those out there who think oh they want to blame genetics like that's just yeah. they without even trying because you could arguably have said look my genetics this my genetics that but man that's a look where because of your mindset what happened, right? Yeah, I um. So that's quite funny actually, because in gymnastics, obviously, I still had quite small legs compared to some of the other guys. And growing up, my dad had always said, "Oh, it's just our genetics. Um, we we can't grow big legs." He said, "I've tried, I've squatted, I've done leg press, I've done all sorts over the years. We just can't do it." And that kind of that got me going. And I was like, "Well, well, I've got to have big legs. I've, you got big arms. You might as well have big legs as well." But um, yeah, I mean, for me, it, it was just squatting over and over again, and it was that volume of training that I accumulated squatting three times a week um, for a long period of that. So, I mean, from the 2015 to the 2017 period, before I'd really transitioned to bodybuilding, I was I was doing gymnastics a few times a week. But every time I went in the gym, I'd start with squats um, because I knew that that was the weakness. That was the thing to build up. And I did all sorts of, you know, strength programs on it where it was kind of lower, vo- like sort of lower reps, lower volume, high weight. Um, and then I sort of moved across and did more sort of German volume training and it really was a blend and I kind of think back to some of the sets that I was doing and some of the things I was doing it was I'd walk into the gym I'd see how much I could do with you know 100 kilos 40 reps until you literally can't hold the weight anymore and I think I remember one session that was the only working set I did and I did a little bit of what else I could muster and then went home but I think that was the thing that for me made made all the difference. And yeah, they they were very small at the start, but I think that was just because I didn't train them, I didn't push them. So, so it's, it's not that I couldn't. Right. No, that's good. And that's important for, again, for the listeners, whether it's not just legs, whether it's maybe it's someone complaining about arms or shoulders or chest or back, whatever body part. It's like, have you tried? You know, it's like, have you tried? You know, the, um, Jeff Alberts has a great one who I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. on the podcast many times what about the calves like you know people will blame that they they have poor calves they don't try and then you see kind of gives like an example of you know how long it took and the, the work that was put in and before it start you know you blame genetics and just quit altogether right so talk about your like how you bro- so you did the squats thing you hit them first maybe break down like what your leg routine evolved into for you personally yeah yeah i mean for a long time i think I literally did just squats, no leg press or anything like that. It was just squats and it would be three or four working sets. Um, and, you know, I've varied rep ranges and, and weights quite a bit. But for me, that was that was always the primary exercise. It was always high bar sort of weightlifter style squat because I learned to squat in a weightlifting gym. 
it always had that kind of approach. So it was always very sort of chest upright. Um, and for me, because I've got short femurs, it's it's quite easy for me to get into that position and put it through the quads. But yeah, it it was three times a week. It would be the first thing I did when I you know get into the gym. I'd warm up. I'd warm up with the bar. I'd put a plate on and I'd squat and I'd you know keep going and going. And at the start of it, I was I was squatting up to I think it was like 100, 120 kilos were my working sets, and that was the weight I was working at. And it got to the point where where that was going up to 200. So, you know, it took a few years and it did not happen overnight. And I was celebrating each five kilos that I was putting on and, and finally hitting different PBs. But yeah, for me, that was that was the primary mover. Leg extensions as well. You know, it's not going to be your main focus in a training session, but just to make sure that you can bring out the definition. I mean, I use them more now than I did back then, because back then it was just trying to build the size. And it's that sort of meat and potatoes exercise just to focus on. But for me, that was that was what it was all about. And you're doing that, you said three times a week. You were hitting legs. Yeah, it wow. was. Yeah, that was it. And I'd I do it, but it would only be sort of squats, leg extensions, or squats and RDLs. Okay. And then I'd go into the other thing that I was training. So it might be a back session or a chest session because I knew that my legs were so far behind that if I did want to make the switch to bodybuilding, I'd have to bring that up considerably. Interesting. And that was, were those kind of, would you call those kind of like a full body thing three, four times a week you were training at the time or not even exactly that? So it was still split. It was, Mm. it was always just legs and then one other. Ah. So it was, I'd train chest once or maybe twice a week, but it was mainly just once for those muscle groups. And then legs really got hammered with that. And they, you know, they were sore a lot of the time. And it was just about trying to recover to the next session and then just keep going and going. Gotcha. Interesting, man. And so, cause you, how is it now? So you, you built your legs up uh, to a respectable, presentable thing that you can bring to the <laughs> stage, right? For sure. No right, doubt yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. And where are you now with your training? I think that would be fun for the listeners. How do you like to approach your training? You know, you got the high, high effort, like Ben, or uh, yeah, like Ben Howard, he likes that high intensity, uh, not training as frequently. We'll say majority at t- majority of the times out of the year from what I spoke to him. I don't know if things have changed now. And then you have like this super high volume, six days a week kind of training. Where are you relative to that spectrum? Where do you kind of lie and how do you like yeah. to do things? I'd say I'm closer to the low volume end. I, I tend to lean more that way. And I, I used to be really high volume. You know, since I've started bodybuilding, I literally went in two years ago with zero understanding um i was you know just sort of floating around doing bits and bobs and looking back on it i kind of think the sessions that i was doing in the gym and you know the lack of plan or the lack lack of progression over time and the just those sorts of things i just i made a lot of mistakes um with my training but speaking to people over the last couple of years and see you know how did you build that or you know what do you do that that helps you kind of build X, Y, or Z, or how do you make this much progress has helped because what I have done and what I did after, I guess it was after Worlds, so this last off season, was I made a note of cutting junk volume, cutting those sets that you're just not really doing anything with. It's just it's just filling up time in the gym and it gives you a nice pump and it makes you feel good, but they don't really build the muscle. And I think that's what I've learned a lot is it's, it's all about the intensity. In terms of my training, I've built it back up to five days a week, but I did drop down to four days a week after, well, in in the off season, because I noticed that as my sessions were getting progressively heavier and harder, it was taking more of a toll on my body. Before the competition, I was training five times a week, um, and that was pretty standard. I generally do that. But as I find that I'm struggling to recover, even though I've got the food going in, even though I'm focusing on you know sleep and all the other things that you need to do, if my training is just too too intense to keep up with the five times a week I can scale it back a little bit and just focus on the areas that I'm trying to improve in terms of what I am doing it's I'm only squatting once a week now I'm only doing one sort of quad focused leg day and then I do the hamstrings again with another hip hinge in with my back day at the end of that because I still feel that I need to bring those up right as an area and so would you say, because obviously that's a lot different than how you were doing things to bring it up. You could call that in the past when you were really trying to bring up your legs, more of like a specialization approach, high frequency kind of approach to really 
give that extra attention to the legs. So now would you say that you're still able to, or have you seen improvements? I mean, I guess if we use performance as a measuring stick for the most part, right? Would you agree? Like a lot of natural bodybuilders will, will use, are you progressing on a specific lift or specific lifts? And if not, then maybe that's a sign that you're not, yeah, you're either under recovered or maybe you're not, maybe you're just doing too much and you, it could be hindering your potential to grow muscle. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, I think it's one of the biggest metrics that you can use. I think it's careful. You've got to be really careful though, not to let the numbers take over or let sort of an ego take over with, I must, you know, it says it on the paper, so I must hit this. And I think that's something that I have learned as well is, you know, switching squat style and just making sure that you can literally beat the last week's number, despite, you know, no matter how it goes or same as deadlifts and things like that. And I've, I've had tweaks and sort of niggles because I've, I pushed a set that I shouldn't have done and maybe decided I was being stubborn and I have to get eight this week because I got seven last week on a set of deadlifts when maybe it just wasn't moving as as well. And I think for me, finding variations that suit. So with a movement, instead of just drilling it one way because it has to be, finding something that suits my physique or all the improvements that I'm trying to make. I'm so glad you brought that up. We're going to get into that specific topic, yeah. but before we do, I want to I want to rewind to the junk volume. Yeah, I mean the the type that I was sort of struggling with more, um, and hmm. the sort of the things that I got caught up in uh, were more three sets of twelve of everything ah. you do, three sets of twelve, and I'd always write that three sets of twelve, and I just all of a sudden had this epiphany once I spoke to a few people that instead of doing three working sets that you're just ticking it off and getting through it, it was more about how close is it to failure? And then is there a way to extend that set beyond failure to get more out of one set or two working sets than doing three, four or five? And I noticed that I was spending less time in the gym and getting more out of it. So that was, that was more what I, the angle that I came from with the junk volume. Gotcha. No, that's really good. So yeah, basically right. where, where, so right now, are you saying, or where are you exactly with, um, cause you're training roughly five times a week. Sometimes you'll go down to four. And yeah. are you doing uh, what two, one or two sets kind of closer to failure per exercise? Is that kind of how you're doing things now versus maybe like you were saying three by 12, or is it like still three sets, but it's just proximity to failure is more managed versus just let me stop the set because I hit the random number that I chose. Yeah. So there's a bit of both. Gotcha. I think because I'm pushing it closer to failure and focusing more on yeah, how much is there left in the tank? Um, and trying to minimize that and well regulate it as we go through sort of a mesocycle, starting off by leaving two or three reps in a tank and then taking it right out in sort of six weeks or so to just going all out and having nothing. But the main thing that I'll do on a heavier movement is one top set, one back off. And I've noticed that I quite like that style. It's something that I'd never done before. I'd say up until after 2020, after I competed, it wasn't the way that I trained normally I just went right I'll do three sets of four sets of and just it was just straight working sets but I noticed that yeah it, it was definitely leaving me sore and it was more difficult to recover from in a good way um, and I noticed that the muscles were getting hit harder with it and I've I've noticed much bigger improvements with that for the short time that I've been doing it than before gotcha so you really like to periodize training to all out failure versus I'm going to train to all out failure every set, every workout. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I've been sort of, you know, listening to watching, reading and trying to sort of play around with different things. Cause I mean, I'm a, I'm a scientist, so I quite like change one thing to one variable and, you know, measure how it, how it impacts you. So change one thing at a time, you might do it for, you know, one, two, three mesocycles, see, you know, if you know that it's definitely not worth pursuing, you kind of cut it short. And if you think, actually, I want a bit longer to work out, this is definitely something that I want to do, um, you know, running it for a little bit longer and seeing. But I quite like doing that with my training. And even now I'm changing little things one at a time and saying, is this making the impact that I want? Is this going to is this going to change it and just improve something ever so slightly? That's good that you brought that up as well, because most times people will change everything and they won't know what's working, what isn't. Exactly. Too many too many variables they switched, right? Yeah, um, that's okay. it. So, so one at a time, and it could be, you know, you change one exercise for another. It could be a conventional deadlift for a stiff leg deadlift. And then you see how is this going to change over the course of a mesocycle? How 
how can this change over a few months? Um, am I going to notice any differences in the way that I'm looking? And yeah, I think it's it's important not to go down the road of just making things easier for yourself and just sort of saying, well, this is a much easier exercise because you know if if it didn't matter what we did, everyone could just walk into the gym and do the easiest leg extensions and leg curls and then go home and they'd have big legs. But I think there is an element to doing heavier exercises, compound movements mixed in with isolation and and just trying to sort of find what works for you over time. Well, makes sense. So where are you on the spectrum of training frequency as far as hitting body parts? Because you have, again, training everything once per week, train things five times per week, you know, the full body five times per week, high, super, super high frequency. Where do you like to, again, I, I always put the two extremes, but where do you like to lie or how do you like to do things as far as yeah hitting each body part? Yeah. I mean, that's it. I mean, I, I said at the start, I squatted three times a week for a long period of time. And I noticed that that's where my legs grew the most in proportion to everything else. So I know that if you hit something three, two times a week, it's going to grow more than if you hit it just the once, I think. The main thing with that, I think, is can you recover between those? And the other thing is you can only pick a certain number of things to focus on and to do that with because you've only got X amount of energy to give out. If you focused on everything, you'd be focusing on nothing. So in terms of that, I will, at the moment, everything gets hit once a week, apart from things that I'm trying to build up, hamstrings, for example, which will get two times. So back hamstrings and side delts at the moment are getting twice a week and triceps just because they tack on nicely to the end of chest and shoulders but yeah those that would be my main thing is pick a few things three things maybe that you want to really specialize or focus on building bringing up and then hit them twice a week that's an interesting approach and i think uh yeah it makes a lot of sense because a lot of people will try to bring up everything all at the same time which meaning excessive amount of volume, I should say, all at the same time, because there's there's a place to just have things balanced out, especially when you're um, just getting into this. Like, I yeah. don't think you need to be tapping into any sort of yeah. specialization kind of approaches. But if we're talking about someone as advanced as you are, that makes a lot of sense. So break down, because this one is also fun. I, I know that the, the listeners love this. Break down your how you arrange your workout. Like, uh, you have like chest, like you were kind of talking about basically. So maybe just kind of let's clean that up. So you kind of hit, do like chest and triceps one day, legs on their own. Like, where are you at now with it? Yeah. So, I mean, I've just come back from say holiday and a little bit of time off. So I gave my body pretty much a complete rest um, for a couple of weeks and then gradually ease back into it. But just before that, I was doing four times a week. Um, I'd have back and biceps with calves. Well, I do them at the end, but I want to bring them back into the, the start of the routine. But back and biceps would be the first one. Then chest and triceps with a little bit of side delts in. Then legs with a little bit of specific back uh, work in as well. And then I'd have shoulders and triceps. So they would be my functions split across the week. That was changed since, I guess, the year before. So I did then tweak it around and play around with it. But um, for me... My main focus, I mean, I was going to stand next to Ben on the stage. So my main focus was bringing up my back. I knew that all my back shots needed to improve significantly. So that's going to be my first day of the week. And that's going to be the one that I really do prioritize. I also needed, I wanted to hit it twice um, for certain parts of it that I wanted to develop like lower lats. So I could then kind of put them in with a little bit of legs just to get them a little bit more volume. And then in terms of sort of chest, shoulders and triceps, I think they were okay to put in once a week, but with a little bit of extra side delts, because I think that would cap it off nicely from the front. So it was all quite specific to the things that I wanted to improve. I knew in my physique where my strengths were, I knew where my weaknesses were, and I wanted to just prioritize the weaknesses. And that's, that's kind of what I still do with that. Cool. And that, so for the listeners, that is right the first day of the week i'm assuming that's after a rest day or maybe two yeah after a rest day just because it fit better with my work schedule i was starting my week on a saturday so my training week was saturday i train saturday and then sunday and it would be saturday morning and then sunday evening just because it fits better and it means i need to train less times in the week and then i'd have i think like a tuesday evening and a thursday evening and then a rest on the friday again so 
that was for me what was working the best in the off season because when I was prepping I noticed that I started waking up earlier so I was going to the gym at five o'clock because I was up I was basically up wide awake and I thought well I'll get this done ticked off and then you know I'll go to work come back and I haven't got to worry about training in a busy gym in the evening but now that I'm sleeping better I want to prioritize that so I'm waking up a little bit later going to work coming back and then training in the evenings but only two times a week Okay, so that's why you have the weekend workout. So that way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And if I'm busy so, on a weekend, I can I can drop it back into the weekdays. But ideally, I do that. That's the nice thing about a four day arrangement, if you will, because yeah. you can kind of plug where exactly you want those training. It's really flexible. What's the biggest thing you noticed from going from five to four in the off season? Each session was harder each session could be full sort of all out putting everything into it and it meant that I didn't need to rely on building up and sort of periodizing throughout sort of such a short time and and starting at such a low RPE it meant that I could keep everything up to about you know nine and then really sort of build and push but I noticed that my big lifts were going up so squats and deadlifts I noticed that I was hitting new numbers of higher rep sets so when I say that I mean I was initially I was doing a lot of sets that were sort of three to five and even you know you get to the point where you just start maxing out um, at the end of it because because I was lifting 20 kilos more than before and I wanted to see if I could squat this or deadlift that and I've gotten to a point now where I've scaled that back a little bit but the main thing that I noticed was I was able to squat more weight for 10 reps I was able to deadlift more weight for 10 reps and and that's what I wasn't getting with the five days a week amazing let's talk about what you were mentioning earlier with picking exercises that fit you and I think that's important given your history maybe you can shed some light on that like give us some examples like where you've walked into the gym you had this plan but then you had to go and you had to do this in terms of that, in terms of sort of being flexible with exercises, even today, I walked into the gym and there was a sign on the sort of the pec deck fly machine that I've been using and it was out of order. We'll get this fixed as soon as possible. But it's fine because there's other variations. There's other things that you can do. For me, I mean, that's quite a minor one. And it's like, well, I'll just do a cable fly. So I got a bench, lay on my back and did the cable fly movement just to replace it. But so there's lots of things that you can do and that you can change. But what I've noticed in the past, I mean, my best example of this is with legs. I've obviously talked about squats a lot and I, I'm sure it's come across that I really like doing squats. And that's what for me has been that primary movement that I've noticed that has made my legs grow. But I know that everyone's different. I've got short little femurs um, and a long body. So I know that I'm built better to squat. And I have found over the years that I get absolutely nothing from a leg press in terms of focusing on quads, in terms of things. I mean, obviously you're still shifting weight. You're still putting tension through the muscles. But for me, a far better movement um, is a squat. And I haven't touched a leg press in, I'd say, two years. I don't think I've been on the leg press at all. I've done hack squats. I've done pendulum squats. I've done split leg squats, back squats. But for me, those are much better movements. Um, I get less pain. Um, I find that the leg press sometimes with my hip, it, it gives me a bit of grief. It's it's something that I don't experience at all with squats. But I know that if someone has longer femurs, squats are going to be the opposite. They're going to be the worst thing and they might not fit their sort of their body shape at all. And for them, a leg press, they can go far deeper. They can you know, really focus on getting into the muscle. And for them, a leg press would be the best option. So it's, it's about finding things that suit your body type. It's about finding things that work around maybe pre-existing injuries, um, stuff like that. I have to be careful with shoulder presses. A barbell shoulder press doesn't really agree with me too well, especially a free one with my shoulder because I've, you know, I've got a bolt holding it together. So I tend to use dumbbells and I've started to lean back a little bit more. And so it's almost a high incline when I do a shoulder press. So I found that that's helped with me. I know that there are people out there that swear by behind neck presses and things, but for me, that just wouldn't work nowadays um, because it would put a lot of stress through the wrong parts of my shoulder. No, absolutely. Because you, you've you've talked about making these adjustments. What do you notice if you are kind of working in these exercises? Like, do you feel like you went, for example, like I'm, I, I could do a specific exercise, specifically overhead presses as well. 
I get, I might be able to get away with it for a workout or two. Like I'm like, okay, this feels okay. And then it starts to go down this dark path, if you will, where it just gets worse and worse. Things aren't progressing for someone who's new and they might not know what sensations to explain what sensations they should maybe avoid because that's very different than muscular tension, like a a really hard contraction. What are some signs that you've picked up? I would say along the way, given your experience as not only a gymnast, but someone in the gym who's doing this bodybuilding thing, what are some signs that someone can look out for? Like, Hey, maybe this is not agreeing with me. I think that's it. If if you feel the pain in the joint as opposed to in the target muscle or in in musculature, you you can feel the difference between you know stre- strain or pressure on a joint and then tension or that burning sensation in your muscles, and you're looking for one of those and not the other. And so I think that's a big part. Anything where it just feels completely uncomfortable or the path of sort of the weight that you're you're moving just doesn't feel like it's aligned or stacked or you know there are things that you can feel you could also watch it back so if you film it from a specific angle perfectly side on or something like that you could see whether you know that path is is moving properly but i think the main thing that i notice is if i do certain exercises i just feel that pressure um or like a tightness in a joint and if it's in the joint that tells me that it's it's not really good but having switched from gymnastics i used to have pain in most of my joints my wrists would hurt, my elbows would hurt, my knees would ache, my hips would hurt. And it, I never had really pain in the muscles back then, but it was always pain in the joints. Whereas now as a bodybuilder, my joints feel the best they've ever done. You know, even though I'm, you know, pushing weights in the gym constantly and I'm sort of doing as much as I possibly can in there, it's, it's all in the muscles. And I think that's, that's something that I've noticed significantly from the switch between the two different sports. Nice. And have you had a scenario given your pre-existing injuries where the sensation is drastically different from left to right? Like, is that something you have to kind of watch out for given, you know, making sure you're moving through a specific path where it kind of feels a little bit more symmetrical, the sensations of like muscular contraction versus like, oh, this side just feels joint uh, sensation. This side, it feels like I'm getting a massive pump. Just an example. Yeah, I think, yeah, there are certain movements. Um, one of the ones that I started doing again after I'd had the shoulder surgery was like an upright row with a barbell. And initially it had always been like a staple exercise that I'd used. And I know obviously there's pros and cons to lots of different exercises, but it was it was one that I'd picked up. It was one that I'd done. Back then I was training in the school gym, which just had a barbell and some weights and a few machines. But for shoulders, I was doing that. And I noticed straight away after the surgery, it was fine on obviously the side that hadn't been operated on. But the one that had the bolt in and my collarbone was now fixed in place, it felt completely different. So I haven't done that since. I think I did it one session quite light and I thought this this feels weird. And then it basically I tried it again the next week and I said, no, this is this is going out and I'm going to find something else to do um, instead. That's a good example. And do you find that you have to do unilateral stuff or was that something you had to do at the beginning or you're just, yeah, it didn't, didn't really influence you that much where you had to pick at things more unilaterally. Yeah, no, I, I do a lot of unilateral stuff, particularly with legs. That was a lot of the rehab I was doing. It was all built around single leg RDLs. It was built around single leg squats. Um, and I still use split leg squats. If I ever do a leg extension, it's always single leg because I know that I'm now predisposed to one leg taking over. And I've had to check myself with squats before because I've noticed that I've watched it from a video and I've been leaning right over on my good leg just because that can take the weight a little bit better. So I've had to be a bit careful with that over the sort of the past couple of years and yeah, just work around it. Yeah. You had a scenario. I think I caught this on your IG where you were doing, you were kind of running with squats, progressing quite nice. And then you had to back off. You kind of did like a, you were doing like kind of like a hack squat variation. Did you have like a kind of maybe tweaked your back? I think you had mentioned that, right? Yeah. My lower back was just struggling. And that, that was sort of when I was still doing five times a week. Um, Mm -hmm. And I noticed that I was running heavy RDLs and heavy deadlifts in the same week. So one on back day, one on leg day, and also heavy squats. And the three of those, I think I kind of, I was too excited and I jumped into this sort of off season. I thought, right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get massive. I'm going to make all this progress. And 
I just, without no, noticing, I kind of built up a bit of fatigue. So with that, I ran a mesocycle where I basically just switched back to, I think it was a pendulum and a hack and just did little bits of both of those. But it was, it was mainly focused about just trying to target the quads. And then after I'd done a sort of a mesocycle with that, so about five or six weeks plus a deload, I went back to just high bar um, squats. And yeah, I, I took the weight down a little bit, picked it up from sort of 70% or so and, and built it back up nice. um, slowly. Yeah, it happens. These are the things that we were talking about where you have to adjust appropriately based upon the current status, what you're dealing with in that moment. And I think a lot of people, and it's true, depending on the generation you came up in, and I don't mean you, I mean the listeners, there's no pain, no gain mentality where you just want to push through it because you think you have to do this exercise in order to, to grow muscle or in order to reach whatever goal you have. And unless you're a power lifter, that's not happening. And, and maybe powerlifting doesn't agree with you. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're doing powerlifting and you're just getting injured all the time. Maybe that's not the sport for you. Just, a, just an FYI, right? For some people listening out there. But it's a common thing because when you're subject to these specific exercises, you know, squat, bench, deadlift, there's going to be times where you're going to have to adjust around it if you do have kind of what popped up. And I think that was a great thing to bring up because uh, I think a lot of listeners could take value from that. I even need to remind myself, I, I'm talking about this. I understand this stuff. And when I go in the gym and I'm stubborn and I want to do what it says that I have planned, we all been there, right? Yeah, that's so, it. And I, on the flip side of that, because I'd, um, I'd had my injury, my back injury when I was 14, and I knew it was it was one of the most serious injuries that I'd had. And ever since then, I'd known, oh, my lower back's a bit of a problem. It's, it's a weakness that I've got. And I've always, or I had always, really avoided deadlifts and pushing those because it was one of those things that I'd do every now and again and I'd build into and I'd get, you know, go in for a few weeks and then something would tweak or twinge or go. And and for a while, and this is, this is way before the bodybuilding, this is in the pre-surgery kind of time, so like sort of 2015, 2016. And looking back, it was probably that I wasn't lifting within my capabilities. And I was trying to put, you know, pulling my back out of shape in all sorts of ways. But I'd avoided them for a long time. And after 2020, I think I'd spoken to some people and I'd seen some training and you know, watched some videos and podcasts and things like that. And and I thought, right, well, this is this is going to be one of the things that really brings my back up. And I need I knew that my back shots needed to improve. And I wanted them to look sort of thicker and, you know, the whole hamstrings, glutes, everything. And I, I'd say that that's one of the biggest in, sort of changes that I implemented that made the biggest difference was to regularly once a week put in top set, back offset, heavy deadlifts and sort of really push the intensity up on those, but not go straight into it. So it was kind of it was starting off reasonably comfortably and then over time, gradually increasing and increasing. And I got to a point where my back is now the best it's ever felt. It feels strong. It feels stable. I can go into the gym and deadlift the same numbers that I was doing for sort of a one rep max, but for a set of eight, set of 10, and I can lift comfortably more than that. And I know, I know that it's there and I know it's stable and it's safe, but it just doesn't come straight away. That's it. It's, it takes years of just plugging away and kind of restricting yourself from week to week, just because you know that over time you'll make the better progression. It's interesting you brought that up. You're not the first, per well, you're not the first person to bring up how deadlifts, they feel that deadlifts was a key contributor to back development. You got Ben Howard, who's who was saying that, Brett Freeman, right? So uh, those are just two that come to my mind right away. But, and there's others, I, you know, that I'm, I'm sure are implementing that. I think it's one of those exercises, yeah, that people shy away from or are doing inappropriately, like they're just, the execution is off. Um, maybe they haven't found a variation that 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 works for them, or they have pre-existing issues they need to take care of prior to starting the deadlifts. Like, is every piece involved in the deadlift, have you been training that, you know? Are you are you yeah. doing, is your program complete to a point where you've, you've built up the muscles required to deadlift? Because um, I, I feel like that's kind of where you were going with what you were saying there. Yeah, that's it. And I mean, for me as a gymnast going into it, I I didn't have the leg strength. I didn't have the muscles in sort of my posterior chain, apart from maybe right at the top in my traps. But I, I hadn't built those up because we just didn't do that kind of movement. And we didn't, it was all about having the most flexible hamstrings you could have, because then it would allow you to do certain elements. But I think that a big part of that for me was focusing on learning to squat building up that core strength, building up a lot of those things. So 
once I'd kind of I'd built that strength in a in a position that I was more comfortable in, I was able to then bring that over to to doing the dead. So yeah, I think you've got to make sure that your body's in a good place to pick up and run these exercises with the intensity that you need to. Amazing. And let's transition here for a second, because given the, your history with gymnastics, I've gotten this question quite frequently, actually, specifically on the YouTube channel. Shout out to the YouTube channel at Longevity Muscle. Make sure you go check that out. Subscribe. This individual is asking about calisthenics and where they might fit in for bodybuilding. Now, someone who has your background, maybe you are yeah. one of the best people to answer this question because do you even do you fit some of that in still and if so how do you do it so it fits your bodybuilding goals i i don't know i my body has changed quite a bit from when i was a gymnast i as a gymnast weighed 70 kilos and i'd say that that was at about 11 or 12 percent body fat that wasn't a very lean 70 uh, 70 kilos my stage weight last year was 75 but I sit around, I mean, at the moment I'm about 89 kilos and I'm not, I wasn't much leaner as a gymnast than I am now. So I think I'm probably carrying, let's say 15 kilos more of muscle. A lot of it's in my legs. Okay. But I'd say, yeah, 10 to 15 kilos of muscle, but I noticed that I'm not as flexible. My, my body hurts more when I do certain things. So handstands and things like that, just because it's not used to it. So initially when I was doing my first years of, of training and I was kind of doing almost like a hybrids training system where I was still doing gymnastics, I was still swinging around bars and things like that two or three times a week. And then I was still doing the weights, mainly sort of squats and then something else, so bench pressing or rows or things like that another couple of times a week. You can do both of them in tandem, but for me, my goals are all about bodybuilding now. So I kind of, I put all of my energy into that and I think it's important to remember that you've only got a certain amount of energy or ability to adapt to your training and you can kind of spread that across a couple of things or you can put it all into one one basket but I don't think it's it's impossible but I think calisthenics when you are heavier even if it is muscle mass I think calisthenics when you are heavier is much much harder and you see some of the stuff that people do it's it's crazy but they can do that at 70 kilos body weight they wouldn't be able to do that if they were another sort of 15 kilos heavier. Well, that makes sense. And I think it, like you mentioned, it depends on the goal, right? Like if you're trying to maximize your ability to grow muscle, that, that might just put you at high risk for injury more than anything else. And it's not the best way to build muscle. If we're talking about best as in, in general, you're going to want to progress in some form or fashion in movements that are less risk overall. Cause you know, doing handstands and all that stuff, how are you really going to progress that other than maybe endurance reps kind of thing right yeah and i mean i grew up and a lot of what we were doing was kind of calisthenics so it was it was all body weight it was climbing ropes it was doing pull-ups and dips and all sorts of things but we were doing sort of sets of 50 to 100 dips who could do the most dips on on the p-bars and you think well there's a lot that it does and in terms of gymnastics and the ability to kind of improve your strength to weight ratio it's great because a lot of the training that we did was it was trying to get stronger without getting heavier, without getting too big in that regard. But it meant that the training that we did was very, very different. And it was tailored to getting the most out of your performance in gymnastics, not necessarily building muscle. And you do, because I've seen training clips, like you'll, you'll do dips and, you know, weighted dips though, progressive yeah, yeah. and pull-ups as well. So you do a little bit of that, but it just makes sense for your goals now. It's not, it's not this, uh, all yeah. kind of calisthenics, uh, the traditional calisthenics approach. It's more bodybuilding specific movements, you could say. That's it. So I'm, ad I'm adding weight to it instead of adding too many reps. So instead of doing sets of 50 in terms of dips, I'll stick 60 kilos on and do a set of 12. And that is my kind of adaptation to get the most out of what, what I want from it. But I like the movements and I've, I've grown up doing those movements every week since I was you know, a small kid. So for me, those feel really comfortable. And I know that some people, they don't necessarily agree with certain exercises or, or they don't have mobility in certain areas. Whereas actually, yeah, I, I quite like keeping some of that, but then adapting it for bodybuilding. And are there specific, so, cause you brought this up, well, we kind of talked about it with the endurance versus kind of the rep range you like to stick with for these exercises, but 
on average, do you like to not go over a specific rep range, if you will? Like some people hate this high rep endurance type stuff, but where do you kind of lie on that spectrum? Yeah. I mean, the main thing for me, and I think the the big thing is intensity. So when you're doing and say like an overhead tricep extension, it's it's about how close you are to failure. And it's those last few reps that are important. And whether you get to that in 20 reps or whether you get to that in 10 reps, I don't think it matters too much. I think you can do really well both ways. It's more about what you enjoy and what your preference is. I know for a fact that I get bored if I do too many reps and I, I, you know, you lose it mentally and you can go and you can, it could be really, really tight. And then eventually you just think, actually, I'm done. So I, I tend to go for the lower end with a lot of exercises. And I just, particularly with the bigger compound movements, I think that that is the key to building because you see different physiques. I think when you look at the sort of the best natural physiques, I think that when you get the sort of the really hard grainy look and and that muscle that's just been built over time through heavy movements, I think it's hard to replace that with different rep ranges, although I'm sure it can be done within reason. Because I've spoken to a lot of legends in the natural bodybuilding world. And yeah, there's definitely a lot of variation in the approaches that they're taking. But, but it's, if I've spoken to them and what they are telling me is that whether it's at the peak of their career, because I've spoken to some, of course, who are pretty, or veterans, like they're almost at the end of their career, when they were their strongest and they were lifting their heaviest was when they looked their best. Like that's, it's it's no doubt about it. I, I, I can't think of a scenario where someone told me otherwise that I've spoken to on the podcast. So that's, uh, it's no secret. I think the the most impressive natural bodybuilders are usually some of the strongest. If we took a, you know, took a hundred and was like, who's the strongest. And then usually those are like the ones that might look the best, right. On yeah. average, on average, I'm sure there's exceptions though. Yeah, that's it. And I think, I think the key thing with that is, is the intensity. I think if it, it's easier to do that, if you're doing a set where it's only, you know, you're rep- the, maximum that you can do is seven or eight you know that you're going to be able to really graft and get to that point a lot easier than if it gets to i don't know it's a set of 15 or 20 and things like your lungs give out or your grip or you know there's there's things aching that aren't necessarily the target muscle and we've all done it before where you get to a set and you think i'm just out of breath it's not that my legs have gone it's that i'm out of breath i cannot cannot get enough oxygen around my body and that's what stopped you. And you think if that's the limiting factor, you've got to switch it around a little bit. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I've been there. Actually, I've experienced that. And uh, it's also yeah, counterproductive to what you're trying yeah. to accomplish if your goal is bodybuilding. But also, and I want to make sure I mention this, on the other end of the spectrum, if you're just doing sets of one or two reps for like, oh, max out effort and all that's happening is you're getting injured, but you're but you're quote unquote strong, relatively speaking to where you once were, like now you could deadlift 300 pounds versus 200 for a set of two and you haven't built no muscle. That happens too, where you see some really strong guys, but their program's incomplete. They're not really training specifically for hypertrophy. Yeah. yeah there's exceptions to what I'm saying, of course. And I wanted to mention that because it's uh, important that not the strongest people aren't necessarily the most muscular either because you look at a power lifter, they don't look like a bodybuilder, right? Yeah. And I think that's something that I've learned in the last year or so is, is looking at powerlifters. They are ridiculously strong, but they haven't got the biggest quads. And then you look at some of the bodybuilders, they're not the strongest. And, you know, there's people lifting much more than them, but they've got these enormous legs. And you think, well, clearly there's something there that they're doing that the powerlifters, it's just, it's just not quite the same, but it's based on their goals. If it's to be as strong as possible, your training should reflect that if it's to build as much muscle and um, then it also needs to reflect that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's definitely context specific to maybe a specific lift, a specific amount of volume, a specific amount yeah. of frequency over time. Like that's kind of where, is it progressing in a direction where it's like, Whoa, this guy's now like, I've seen you close grip bench press. What was it like in the three hundreds? And I'm talking pounds uh, for those yeah, listening. Yeah. Yeah, um, so th- like, that's, re- that's pretty, re- it's pretty ridiculous in a, in an impressive way. Right. So yeah, these are impressive numbers. I was talking to Siobhan Cunningham. It's like this guy's dumbbell pressing like the 200s or something crazy like that. It's one between 150 and 200. So it's, it, it yeah. reflects the physique and he's doing it for reps. Yeah. So it's like, that's kind of where I'm going with it when I say strength 
the, yeah. the natural bodybuilders who are the, some of the strongest are oftentimes the most impressive. I'm speaking that's to it in this context. So I wanted to make yeah. sure that's important. But it is, right? it's, it's very specific as well. Um, I did a lot of barbell bre- bench pressing at the start and that was, I barely touched the dumbbells mainly because we didn't have heavy dumbbells. So I did my heavy movement with the barbell and that's when I was yeah going into sort of 300 and 350 pounds kind of area bench pressing um, and it was lower reps. But then I'd do a lot of the, my secondary movement would be with lighter dumbbells. I think we only had converting to pounds, it'd probably be about 70 or 80 pounds for the maximum. So it would be sets of 15 and it would be really controlled and really slow. Um, and I just focus on using that to get into the chest. But I'm not very strong with dumbbells as a, as a chest movement, as a pressing movement. And I see a lot of what other people are doing. And I just think, how on earth are they lifting that much weight with the dumbbells? <laughs> But then with a barbell, I'm far stronger. And that's just because of my training experience and what I've done in the past. No, that's uh, great that you brought that up. It's it's specific to your structure, how you fit specific exercises. And also, by the way, 80 pounds for a set of 15, that's still impressive. But I know you're comparing it to you're comparing it to uh, maybe some of the top or other bodybuilders that you've seen lifting for sure. That's to be fair. And, and then depends on where you have it in the workout, right? Like, are you doing yeah. it first as your first exactly. exercise? Because if you did that as your first exercise, maybe that'd be different too, right? So it depends. Yeah. But so um, that's, that's the main change that I've made um, since I've started after my break is that I've been playing around with putting my compounds after some isolation work. And what I've noticed is that I've actually started to adapt to that. So I was, I, for example, legs, I'm now squatting at the end of the leg um, program at the start, it felt like there was absolutely nothing left in my legs. And they just, they were fried from, from the first few exercises because it was leg extensions and split leg squats, a couple of hamstring exercises, and then the high bar back squats. But I've noticed that each week it feels like at the end of it, I've just got that recoverability much better, but I can absolutely feel it frying my quads with less weight than I would be using normally the plan is now to kind of see where in a couple of months time I end up with that and how I'm feeling, how I'm looking and sort of taking my measurements from how that, that one tweak has changed my training and how my physique reflects that and then decide whether I keep that or whether I change it back. But for now and getting back into the training, it's helped get more out of less weight at the moment. No, that's great because it, it really depends on, like you mentioned, maybe doing certain techniques or certain styles of training, depending on the specific goal or what you got going on in your body injuries wise, and maybe wanting to prevent something from reoccurring because the pre-exhaust or the pre-fatigue method, we'll call it because it's not a traditional pre-exhaust where you go straight from leg extensions, no rest right into like a leg press or a squat. But I think, yeah, if you're doing something like that, then yeah, you, you're not going to be able to use as much load and it could be argued on both ends where that could be a potentially a good thing. And if it, you're feeling the muscle more, but you're progressing over the weeks, then I don't see how that's like the performance is going up because you're adapting to that in a positive way. I mean, that's exactly. awesome, right? That's yeah. it. And I was, I was noticing that that evening I was sat there and my legs were cramping up and to the point where I couldn't stand up because I had to go and get, I don't know, I drank some tonic, I think, because that helps relieve it. But right. I noticed that I had DOMS in my quads for two, three days after the first time. And then even now it's I'm noticed I'm getting more muscle disruption at the end of the workout and then the sort of the recovery after than I was before and I think I just got to a point where it was a little bit stale with the current split or the way I was training at the moment so I then changed it up a little bit and I think that's for me it's helped refresh things a little bit after coming back from a bit of a break amazing no great great insight and I wanted to talk about this because I think it's valuable too. You work as a teacher nine to yeah. five, is that correct? Yeah. I mean, at the moment, we've just had our summer summer holidays. Right. But yes, I am a full-time chemistry teacher. Chemistry, right. That's why you brought up the scientist uh, yeah. prior. Yep, <laughs> yep. Makes sense. And I think that's for the listeners who maybe they, they work, at, I mean, I'm sure a lot of them do, where they have busy, busy schedules do you have days where you're feeling just run down? Like it was a long day at work. You're like, man, I got to go do this heavy leg day. Like, how do you approach that? Yeah. Um, I've had some of those. I, what I'm trying to do now is I try and make sure that I can plan ahead. So if I know that we've got a parents evening, that's going to last until seven or eight um, in the evening, 
that's going to be my rest day. And I'll make sure that I can work around it a little bit. If it's unavoidable, you've just got to kind of grit your teeth and and go for it. But um, yeah, for, for me, it's all about just trying to make sure that I can fit bodybuilding around my life. And that's my work life, my personal life. It kind of comes after those. And I just make sure that I can put as much into it as I can without impacting those things negatively. You have specific, no, that's good, by the way. And I, I want to pause there before I go into the next thing, because <laughs> most people try to fit their life into bodybuilding and then they wonder why their life is just falling apart. So is it, it's good that you have that in the other way around. I think most people need to remember that. More specifically, the young folks who are getting into it, who are eager to make progress. I know I've been there where every nothing else matters, just my gains, you know? And then all of a sudden, the years start ticking away and it's like, well, you got to prioritize other things now. And then, and then you don't know how to handle it. So that's, uh, that's valuable. I'm glad you brought that up. Good. Yeah. And do you have something that motivates you specifically during those moments? Or do you find that when you get to the gym, you could just, once you get started, you're in it, it's, it's no problem. Yeah. I, I love being in the gym and my only experience of not loving being in the gym was well, I guess when I was injured and doing rehab, but also at the, right at the back end of prep. And it's when, you know, when you're dragging yourself there. But even then, I kind of, I had to sort of take a step back, check myself and say, well, you've chosen to do this. This is a commitment that you've made. But yeah, for me, I've, I'm quite lucky that I've, I really enjoy the training. I think for me, bodybuilding is about more than just being on stage and getting pictures and things. That's that's a wonderful part to it. But there's just so much more to to that process. And I think... I really enjoy the day in, day out and that routine. I also get a little bit stir crazy if I can't go into the gym. If I have an injury or if there's things that stop me going to the gym, it can sort of, it can change my mood a little bit. So for me, it's something that I really enjoy doing. I think the thing as well is it's about consistency with everything. So motivation comes and goes and you can be really motivated one day, you wake up the next day and you just, you can't be bothered to do it. But the thing that makes the big difference over time is how consistent you are with things, how good you are at when you don't quite feel like doing it, you know, checking that box. Or I think sometimes as well, if you're ill or if you're unwell or if there's something going on, it's, it's being able to take a step back and saying, well, this is a longer term thing than just I need to take myself to the gym. And it's it can be a two way thing, I think. And I find sometimes I will push myself through to the point where I make something worse um, you know, I've had, have done that before with, with sort of niggles and injuries and turn them into things that actually become bigger problems. And I've learned from that and said, right, actually I need to think long-term what's going to be the best for me. But I'd say in terms of for motivation for training, the best thing is just to try and almost detach that, put it into your routine and just be consistent with it day in, day out. Cause not every day in the gym is going to be, you know, the best session you've ever had, but you can just keep building towards something with it. Oh, that's great. That's great. And I, we've all been, I'm, I've been there personally, and I'm sure many of the listeners have, whether you, you, you wake up one day, you're just, you're not, maybe some, sometimes recovery has something to do with it. Sometimes just life stress that's influencing recovery. I think the main thing is like you mentioned, where you make the smartest decision that you can think of in that moment, stay consistent with the plan and make the appropriate adjustments to not hurt yourself. And I wanted to talk about your experience competing with Ben Howard. I think that'll be a fun little story and also upcoming goals. Hey, everyone. That's all for part one with Mitch Jarvis. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure to stay tuned for part two coming in the near future. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it. Tag us in it on Instagram. The links are in the description box. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel where we post videos weekly, if not daily, and where you're going to see videos from this episode. So make sure to subscribe. It helps grow the podcast. We appreciate you once again. Thanks so much. And until next time. Hey, everyone. Before we end the episode, I just want to take this time to thank our sponsors. Let's get checked. After looking into their product, I felt it would be beneficial to spread the word on their male hormone testing kit. For those of you who compete, diet regularly, or are trying to maximize muscle growth, it can be extremely valuable to know where your testosterone levels are at. With the male hormone testing kit from Let's Get Checked, they send you an at-home kit where you collect a small blood sample, send it back to their lab using a prepackaged and prepaid envelope, 
and a couple of days later, the results will be available online. The whole process is extremely simple and convenient. Not to mention, you even have access to speak with a nurse at any point during the testing process via phone call or text chat. So if you have any questions, this is where you would ask. For all information regarding Let's Get Checked, you can hit the link in the description box where you will receive a 25% discount just for listening to the podcast and for being part of the Longevity Muscle community. If you guys want to check it out, hit that link. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next one.